Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, good morning. Hey, uh, before we jump in, let's pray. Dear Lord, just uh, thank you for another day where we, uh, where we are grateful that we get to come before your throne in prayer, in worship. Lord, I pray as we dive into your word that you would speak in only the way that you could speak, move in only the way that you could move. Lord, I ask that you, your words would penetrate our hearts and our souls. You would change lives today. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. <clears throat> in your son Jesus' name, amen. We will watch the old man with the gray hair, big, long beard, kind of Gandalf-looking fella. He'll come walking out of his tent. He will look down into the valley. And in the valley, he will see the thousands and thousands of people, the thousands of campfires, the thousands of tents, and everything inside of him will want to go into the valley to sit at the campfire, to share a meal with the people, to talk to the people, to have a conversation with the people. He knows exactly what they're talking about. He knows the questions that they are having. What's going to happen next? What do we do now? We're just roaming around this wilderness. Where do we go now? How are we going to make a living? How are we going to take care of our family? What is our city going to look like? What are we going to do? And he knows the questions they're struggling with and the questions that they're wrestling with. And he knows he has some answers. And so everything inside him makes him want to go and talk to the people. But he knows he can't. He knows he has to go back inside of that tent. He needs to go sit down at that stack of papers, grab that pen, dip it in the ink, and begin to write, because the questions that they are struggling with, he will have answers to, but the, the, the most specific question he has an answer to is, before you know who you are, you need to know whose you are. And so he will go inside of that tent, because not just are they struggling with it, but their kids, their grandkids, generation after generation will struggle with those questions. And so he will go into the tent, he will sit down at the stack of papers, grab the feather, dip it in the ink, and he will begin to pen what we know as the Pentateuch or the Torah or the books of the law. It's one book, five chapters. It's the first five books in the Bible. And he will begin in the beginning God created. And he will start to explain the creation story that God spoke and it existed, that God spoke in heaven and earth and sea and land and animals and vegetation and lightness and dark sun, moon, stars, that when God spoke, it existed. What science calls the big bang in Christianity, we know as God's voice that God spoke and bang, it happened. And then he will pen this moment where he will change the creation story. God spoke and it happened. God spoke and it happened. And out of dust, he formed man. And then God breathed life into human beings. It's the thing that separates humanity from all of creation. For everybody else, for animals, for land, for everything else in creation, it was spoken and it happened. But with human beings, God breathed life into their lungs. That's so why we sing songs that talk about it is your breath in our lungs, that every breath I take is a breath of God in my lungs. And he will pen the story of understanding. Before you ask who you are, you need to know whose you are. And then he will write a shocking statement, both to them then 
and to us today. We've been in this series called Immeasurably More. And we've been looking at how God wants to do immeasurably more in our lives as individuals, in our families, in our friendships. And we've looked at how God wants to do immeasurably more in our church corporately together, how God wants to do immeasurably more. As it's rooted in Ephesians 3.20, and it says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that, that is at work within us. And today we're looking, man, how does God want to do immeasurably more in us through our work? In our work. The, the, the re recent reports estimate that uh, the average person will spend 90,000 hours of their life at work. 90,000 hours. That's if you work the average amount. Gallup released a report this year that 85% of people are unhappy with their work. They're either unhappy because they feel like they're not paid enough, or they're unhappy because they are, uh, the amount of hours that you work, it leaves a bad work-life balance at 40, 50, 60, 70 hour weeks. It's just taking up too much. You don't have a good home or work-life balance. Other people don't like really just the job they have in general, don't really like their job. Other people just don't like the people that they work with, or they don't like the, the boss they have or the company they're in. But 85% of people don't like their job or don't like to work, or their work. You see, the common thought of today is that we live or we work to live, right? Work is a means to an end. I work to get to the weekend. John Mark Comer says this. He was talking about the American dream, and he says, uh, the American dream used to be that everybody had a shot at happiness. And he goes, and now he says that the American dream, check this out. The American dream has devolved over years into a narcissistic desire to make as much money as possible in as little time as possible with as little effort as possible so that we can get off work and go do something else. I think he's spot on. Dorothy Sayers, this famous British writer, she wrote an essay in 1942 called Why Work? And in it, she makes this argument that society needs to get back to the biblical view of work and get back to the biblical doctrine of work. She says society as a whole and individuals in particular are dying. She says the modern view of how we look at work is killing people. And so she argues that we need to go back to a biblical view of work and she claims that it's revolutionary. Her quote is this, she says, the modern doctrine of work, which has replaced the old biblical doctrine, is work is that what you do for a living. Work is that through which you make money so you can do what you really want to do. And she claims it's detrimental to society. I would argue in American suburbia, like this is killing our society and killing the way we view it. Our modern view of work, I think, is really hurting people. The way we think about work, the way we think about what it means to work. And so what I think Dorothy Sayers, she says, get back to the biblical doctrine of work, begs the question, what's the biblical view on work? And this is where we find Moses sitting in that tent, and he will write something in Genesis that I think was shocking to the people then and kind of shocking to us today. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is before the fall. The fall where sin, death, sickness enter the world. That happens in Genesis 3. And so in Genesis 2, in the creation story, when God is creating and says, it is good, when everything is still good, when everything is still perfect, and all of his creation, 
God created work. In the very beginning, he took Adam and Eve, put them in the garden and said, work it and keep it. I think we think of work as this curse on us. It was always intended to be part of humanity. We were created to work. Our God is a God of work. The Hebrew word uh, for, for work is abad. It means to work, to serve, and it also means to worship or to honor. It's the same uh, word we get in Psalm 100, verse two, where it says, serve the Lord with gladness or abide the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. In Psalm 102, 22, when peoples gather together like we are doing today and kingdoms to worship or abide the Lord. See, work and worship are not two separate ideas. It's the same word translated two different ways in our English word, but in the Hebrew and written in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, it is the same word. Work and worship are synonyms in the Hebrew language. And so according to the biblical view of doctrine or the biblical view of work, it is a, the same thing, work and worship. And when we talk about worship, we talk about worship. Hey, God, I, we get to worship you through the singing of song. God, we get to worship you through the giving our generosity, giving of our tithes and offering. God, we get to worship you through the reading, hearing, and teaching of your word. God, we get to come and pray to you and worship you. We get to worship you. We get to, but when it comes to work, the same word in the Hebrew language, it's I have to. I have to work. It's the same word, but we change it because, well, I don't really want to go to work, or I don't, it's a means to an end. It's not something I view as the same thing, work and worship being synonymous together, that actually when I work and what God created me to do, when I use my gifts and talents and abilities to honor him, that my work is actually worship to God. I would agree with Dorothy Sayers. I think we need to go back to that biblical view of work. I think it's something as simple as, I don't have to work, I get to work. I get to serve and honor you, God. I get to bring your name, honor, and glory by working. Okay, we're like five, seven minutes into this thing, and if you are a stay-at-home parent, a homeschool parent, or retired, or semi-retired, you are just counting down the time when this is gonna be over because this has nothing to do with you. Here's what I would argue. Stay-at-home parent, homeschool parent. I think we should change the definition to full-time parent. Um, you don't have a job in what we would consider traditional job in America where you are being paid for that. Your kids give you no money to take care of them. <laughs> they cost a lot more. But you're a full-time parent. What you do, I believe, is at the focal point of what God created human beings to do. When he gives Adam, Adam and Eve the first command, be fruitful and multiply. And then he tells them, you are my image bearers, created in the image of God. So everywhere you go in the world is you are bringing the kingdom of God with you. So now you are priest, king, or priest, queen in your home. So parenting, you bring the kingdom of God into it. Homeschooling, you bring the kingdom of God into it. Errands you're running, the cleaning of your house, you bring the kingdom of God into everything you do. Because from the very beginning, when he created us and put us in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden, to work, it was always to partner with taking care of his creation. So full-time parent, you are taking care of his creation, your children, but most importantly, his. Just because it's not a job that you're being paid for, please don't let anybody degrade what you are doing as a parent. Or if you're retired, 
or semi-retired. I was just talking to a lady outside. She was like, yeah, I get to take care of my grandkids. I never thought of it as this work or gift or blessing that it's an honor that I get to take care of them. Just because you do not collect a paycheck does not mean you were not created to continue to work and do work. We were all created for work from the very beginning. You see, we have an immeasurably greater purpose to our work. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Before sin, sickness, and death entered the world, he created everything perfect, including work. The Christian God is a God of work. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he says it this way. Look at the Bible. Creation, consummation, incarnation, resurrection. What do they all have in common? God with his hands in the dirt. In creation, God creates Adam out of dust. In consummation, God is cleaning up after the great battle, building a new city. In the incarnation, God becomes physical. And in the resurrection, God redeems the physical. You see, the Christian approach to work is this, and the biblical view of work is this, that all good work, all God-honoring good work, secular or ministry, but all good work has value and dignity in the eyes of God, no matter what it is. Listen, as long as it's good work, it doesn't go against what Scripture is. Now, like, I'm not saying just all work in general. Let me just... Right, like human trafficking, I don't think is good work. Let me make that clear. There's certain things that's like, that's going against scripture. That is not God honoring. That's not good work. But all good work that would go agree with scripture, agree with God, is God honoring work. If you're a trash man, thank God for you. Because if it wasn't for you, our streets would be littered with trash. I think that's God honoring. You're taking care of his creation. Mechanic, what you do is you are now, I, I can't work on a single car. I, I, I have no idea what I'm doing with cars. I take my car to somebody else that I'm trusting that the work they do is protecting me and my family. Thank God for you. Whether you're a CEO, business owner, whatever it is, all work is valuable in the eyes of God. So in this series, we've been interviewing different leadership couples uh, from the church. And uh, today I want you guys to help me welcome Richard and Shelly Wenschlock. So many of you guys probably know Richard and Shelley. Uh, you probably know them from the Encounter Ministry, um, Men's Encounter and Women's Encounter. Uh, men's, uh, Richard also oversees our men's ministry. Um, but what some of you may not know is uh, just their kind of work history. Richard's been working since he was seven because he likes to tell people that his life was terrible and he was supposed to work at seven years old and before Labor Day was a thing, I guess, and child labor laws weren't a thing. But so he's been working since he was like seven, CEO in casinos. Everything kind of went bad around 2014, 2015 for him. And God changed his whole perspective on what his business is now and what it's for. And uh, he now owns a couple of yogurt beaches. And so, you know, if you've been to Life Church at any of our events that have yogurt beach, that's these guys. So thank you guys for doing this. Appreciate you. Thanks, Jericho. All right. So um, one of the things that stuck out when we talked this week about um, you guys coming up and sharing your part. You talked about the outcome that you now hope for and that your view on that changed different than when you were in the casino business. So tell me about that. Yeah, let me start with the first 10 years of this career life was chasing just exactly how Jericho explained it, being liked by the world, proved by my father, all that. Next 10 years was trying to figure out 
what it looked like to be in those positions of CEO of casinos and having the responsibility. And then that came to an end in 2011. We spent the next three years just trying to figure out who we were. I mean, this is 20 years into our marriage and life. And then we, we bought this Yoga Beach in 2014, had left our other careers and left all that behind us. But Christ was now at the center of, of something that we really hadn't probably appreciated up until that point. We were searching for him, we were looking for him, but then everything was taken and we were brought to Yoga Beach and, and everything changed in 2014 and for the next, I guess, nine years where we sit here today and ministry becoming a main part of what Yogurt Beach supplies for us. So not knowing at the time, because it was our last dollars that we had that invested into that Yogurt Beach, that it would then supply us the way in which to become pastoral uh, leaders and in the encounter ministry with several of the men that are sitting in this room that helped start it back then. So what, what is, um, you said your view on that changed on from casinos to now Yoga Beach, still CEO, still owner's company, but like what was that change in, um, I guess for you guys, that, that the biggest thing you remember? Um, it's, it's a little bit different for both of us. Same thing in terms of purpose though. I like how you mentioned uh, the, you know, those of you moms that are stay-at-home moms and if you're retired or semi-retired, it's easy to kind of get caught in this idea that you no longer have any purpose or that you're not doing anything. But for me, because there was times, you know, when he was, when he was working that I was home with the kids and didn't have to, there was times, you know, where it felt, you know, there wasn't much for me to do. But as I looked back on it and I look at the kids and look at the other things that I was doing and the ways that, you know, I was helping Richard, there was a purpose. So it changed from just simply you know, living life and living for the dollar and living to get to the next place, to get to the next level, the next status. And we've owned more businesses than just Yogurt Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that for both of us, it became more of a, a purpose in our work, that it was, it could bring us immeasurably more because we were doing it instead of for, for us, we started doing it for God. And that ended up flowing over into other people. Well, that... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, what, like Yoga Beach and, and your business has helped fund a lot of your guys' ministry stuff through Encounter and a lot of things that, um, so really has been this kingdom expansion, both there and then into ministry. Um, all right. Image bears. Like, I think you guys are salt and light. And, and what is that? Like, how do you take... What this, what we do here on Sunday, how does that now become an everyday thing in your business, in the corporate world for you? Well, I'm going to use an example of a gentleman that, you know, became part of, or was a part of our ministry in 2017, 18, came to an encounter, had an incredible experience, started walking this out, but then ran into some trouble, but we kept walking with him and providing and being a part of his life. And all the way through all of the, the challenges he faced, all the things that became difficult, uh, a divorce in there, and, and we walked him through it to where he came back around and his life was literally transformed right before our eyes where his marriage was restored, his work life was restored. Uh, all the things that you thought when they're gone, they're gone, we watched right before our eyes be restored. And so he's now the general manager of our yoga beaches. And 
and is operating the day-to-day -day operations. And to watch him go and take the obedient steps that he did and, and allow us to be a part of that journey, absolutely amazing. That's what Yogurt Beach has done in this journey with us in ministry. Yeah. I was six years, five, six years for him. Of yeah. He'll be general manager. This will be his fourth year. This will be fourth year. And he went from the hardest point of his life and the divorce to really you guys mentoring him. And then you also now mentor his wife. But the marriage restored, family restored, all of this from a business outside of the church. Yeah, yeah. I, I, here's what I think is amazing. Is God doesn't only move in the church. Like he doesn't only move in the walls of this building. You are like, you're his, we're salt and light. We're in the corporate world or secular jobs for a reason. And then you hear something like this, where God moves in a powerful way in a yogurt beach. That's awesome. So before we end, tell us about the next encounter since that changed that man's life. Yeah, what I'd like to do, anybody who's been to an encounter, men or women, please stand up. Can you stand up real quick? So those of you that haven't been to one, take a quick look around and ask one of these men or women what it means to come to an encounter and, and become part of uh, the ministry that's, that's taking place so that we can walk this out together, live this out together and, and journey it together. Our next men's encounter is September 15th um, of this month, so just two weeks away. And you can, you can go to encounterministry.life or take your phone out and click on that or we'll be out here at this table uh, to answer any questions. I had a gentleman ask me just before this, why don't I explain what happens on that weekend? It's unexplainable. That's why I had these folks stand up. If they stood, if they stood up next to you, ask them. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Appreciate you guys. Give it up for Richard and Shelley. Listen, we were always created to work. This is according to Scripture, according to the Bible, man. We were created to work before the fall. It's not a curse thing. It's actually a gift and a blessing. But what does it mean for God then to do immeasurably more in our work? Listen, you're creating the image of God, made to carry his image into the workplace. So in that, you are now making the invisible qualities of God now visible to the people you work with in the environment and creation. You carry the, the qualities of the invisible God. You're now making them visible to people. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is writing to this church, and he says, man, you guys love people really, really well. You love the church well. You're loving the whole city of Macedonia well. And he goes, I want you to continue to do that. And then he explains how he wants them to do that. We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and to be, be dependent on no one. So Paul says, listen, you guys love people really well. You're loving the whole city well. I want you to do it. I want you to do it even more. How does he want you to do it? By working. He says, I want you to work. And he says, I want you to do this because making the invisible God visible in our work is so that we may walk properly before outsiders. Or in the NIV, it says, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, there's an immeasurably greater purpose to our work. It's this testimony piece. There seems to be this evangel evangelistic piece with Paul that he's saying here. Yes, I mean, when we think of evangelism, you're supposed to tell people, tell people about Jesus and talk to them about the life, he, the, the, the change he's done in your life. Yes, you're supposed to tell them, but I think there's also this piece that Paul's saying, hey, when you're at work, 
the way you work, the way you live, the way you act is also part of the testimony of evangelism peace that is showing people who Jesus is. You see, we have a measurably higher standard for our work. Our actions and how we work is extremely important. Do you honor God in your work? In today's day, some of you don't even have to go to the office, but if you're at the office and your boss is out of the office or your boss is on vacation, do you work the same? Or many of us get to work from home where our boss can never see us. Do you still work the same? Do you still have integrity? Or do you look like everybody else in your job? Everybody else is cutting corners. Everybody else is taking extra time in their breaks. Everybody else is taking extra long lunch breaks. Everybody else is scrolling social media and finding a way to just take a break, still getting paid to scroll their social media or to cut a corner. Are you doing the same thing? We have a much higher standard for our work. Colossians 3, 23-24, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. As believers, we have a different boss. Listen, the way we work, the standard is not set by my boss. It is not set by the marketplace. It is not set by my investors. It is not set by the board. It is not set by the congregation. The standard is now set by the God who sent his one and only son to die on the cross for my sins. The standard is now set by him. He now becomes my boss. He now becomes the market segment. He becomes my audience. He becomes everything. He now sets that standard for how and why I work. You see, when we realize we work to please God, then we realize that there's a higher standard for our work. And our primary purpose for work should not be to make money. Our, our primary purpose for work should not be to get to a certain status, to get a raise, to get that promotion, to do this. That should not be the primary purpose for our work. Because if it is our primary purpose, one of two things happens. First, work becomes too important. Or work becomes not important enough. And here's what happens when work becomes too important in our life. When we are striving to either just make more money, to get that raise, to get that promotion, to climb the corporate ladder, when that's what we are working for, and that is a primary purpose for our work, then the God who created us to work now gets flipped over and work becomes our God. It becomes above God. And now I'm working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and I am doing everything to accomplish my primary goal. Work becomes my God. I now begin to neglect my family, my relationships, my friendships, my church, my God. It now has switched and become my God. Or work becomes not important enough. And when work is not important enough, I become lazy. I start to cut corners. I don't really care about the work. I'm here to collect a paycheck. I'm going to be here for those eight hours a day, no matter what. So if I work hard, it doesn't mean anything. If I just don't work hard at all, my paycheck is the same. And when work is not important enough, here's what my testimony is to people about the God that I serve. My God is a God who cuts corners. My God is lazy. My God is a God who doesn't care. I begin to live a life that tells people the complete opposite of what we find at the cross in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he is not a God who cuts corners, I would argue he does the exact opposite. In the garden, Jesus prays, if there's any other way for this cup to be passed from me, let it happen. God doesn't cut a corner. He sacrificed his son. Our God is not lazy. 
And oh, our God deeply cares about people. So much so that he sent his son to die. There is no way that if I am living a life that says, I don't care about my work, then the God I'm representing is not the God of the gospel. It's not the God of scripture. The standard is really, really high for the believer in work. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus, that doesn't pertain to you. But for anybody that has put their faith in Jesus Christ, you have a higher standard for your work, period. Tim Keller says it this way, until you learn to work for God's sake, for people's sake and for the work's sake, instead of for money's sake and status's sake, here's what's so odd. Until you work not for your sake, but for God's sake, the work will not fulfill you. Here's what Tim Keller's saying. You work for God. Working for God's sake is this, to honor, glorify, magnify the name of Christ. That's why I work. Working for people's sake. If what you do is a benefit to people, if what your job is is a benefit to society, to benefit to your, to your employees, benefit to, to, to your customers, if what you do is that, then you're working for people's sake. That's a good thing. And then he said, work for work's sake. Working for work's sake is simple. Stop cheating the work. Stop cutting corners. Stop finding a way to make as much money as possible with as little time as possible and little effort as possible. Stop degrading it to that. You see, we find fulfillment in our work when we have a biblical perspective of work, when we realize God had always created human beings to work. He created me to work, and he gave me, he's given me certain gifts and talents and abilities to do certain types of work, not just one type of work, certain types of work. You can be an entrepreneur. You can be gifted and wired to be an entrepreneur. There are lots of businesses on that spectrum you could do. There are lots of things on the spectrum that you can do. It doesn't have to be just one thing. And when I realize I have this higher standard for the way I work, I don't work out of obligation. I work out of opportunity. It's that I get to work. God, I get to work to honor you. I get to work to bring you glory. I get to work to worship you. I get to do these things. You see, the standard is, is that I am his image bearer. I am created in his image. So I work in such a way that makes the invisible qualities of God now visible to those people around me. That when everybody else is cutting corners, when everybody else is taking the long breaks, when everybody else is doing these things, why aren't you? Because my God does it. There's a higher standard whether people are watching me or not. And since there's an immeasurably higher standard, we have an immeasurably higher calling for our work. You see, the way we work matters. Powerful testimony brings the gospel credibility through the way we live and work in our lives. Listen, our God is hardworking, so we should be. Our God is joyful. We should be cheerful. We should volunteer to help that person in our job that we don't even like, but they are having a difficulty on their project. We should be the ones that volunteer to help them. Why? Because our God, our God is in the business of helping people. And I don't help simply because, oh, well, then it's a pay raise or a promotion or recognition. No, I'm helping you because my God's in the business of helping people. And I know you're not really nice to me and you don't really like me, but I just want to let you know when you didn't like Jesus, he still went to the cross for you. Scripture says, while we are his enemies, he still went. I'm a cheerful, joyful person to be in the workplace. Why? Because my God is a joyful God. Our God is an honest God and true, so we should be full of integrity. We have a high, we have a high, 
We have an incredibly high calling on our work. Not, not, let me, not just the people in ministry, not just myself or other people on staff at a church. Like that is not the only person that has a high calling on their ministry or on their job. Every believer has a high calling on their job because you are made in the image of God and he is sending you out into the world, into these jobs, into these schools. You have an immeasurably high calling on your job. Not just those in the church. You see, how we work matters and why we work matters. There are plenty of good moral people, great people that work really, really hard, that are striving to do their best, and they're working to appease God, not please him. There's a massive difference between pleasing God and appeasing God. You see, when I want to appease God, I work in a way that's diligent, hardworking, and a lot of effort, and doing my very, very best, but it's so God will give me something back. I'm going to work really, really hard because, God, I need you to answer my prayers. God, I need you to do this for me. God, I want you to bless me this way. God, I want you to give me this. I want you to give me this promotion, this raise. Give me the desires of my heart. That is why I work hard. That is not what working to please God is. That's working to appease God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, it says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And when the Bible says live in order in a way to please God, it means to live, to work for the sheer joy of bringing pleasure to God. Not to get anything back. It's simply to bring joy to him. Jonathan Edwards, he explains it this way. He says, unless you've experienced the grace of God, unless you know you're not saved by your work, unless you know God embraces you because of Jesus's work, unless, we've, unless you've experienced the grace of God, that when you go to help the poor or when you go to your job, no matter what you do, as good as it seems to be, you're doing it out of self-interest. You never help the person. You never do the job for the sheer joy of the person or the sheer joy of the job. You're always doing it in order to get something from God. So if the reason you are working hard and you think you're trying to please God, but you're always hoping that, well, if I work hard and God is proud of me for my work, well, then God will give me my promotion or he will give me that raise or I will get recognition, then you are always playing a transaction with God. Your work has now become transactional to God. That's not worship. That is, God, I'm going to work for you and then you, I'm expecting you to give me something back. That is not worship. That's transactional. It's not the aim to please him. You see, at the cross, we find amazing grace and love and forgiveness, kindness, mercy. At the cross is where I stop trying to appease God. Instead, I just try to please him because I've already been given these things, which means no matter how hard I work, God, no matter what I do and what I climb, I don't earn any of that stuff from you. You've already given it to me. So now I work in a way to just please you, to just worship you. It is my way of saying thank you for what you did for me on the cross. It is worship. Listen, we were always created for work. It was part of creation before the fall. Every day God creates and he says it is good. And at the end of it all, he looks down at his world and says, okay, it is now good for Adam and Eve to work and keep it. It is now good. He instituted work at the very beginning. I would argue, I, I agree with Dorothy Sayers. I think we need to get back to the biblical view of work. 
I think it was always God's plan and his intent for human beings to join him in his seven days of rhythm of, of rest and work. And since God is good and what he created is good before the fall, then since God is good and what he created is good, then work in itself must be good. It's cursed after the fall, but inherently work is good. It was a blessing and a gift from God. I think we need to start looking at it from a biblical perspective. I encourage you, answer these questions. Now, in conversations with somebody, in prayer time, or in your journal time, answer these questions. Do you view your work, whatever that may be, as good? Do you see your work as worship, the way we see it in the Old Testament? Is your work a bod? Is work and worship the same for you? Do you see the way you work as a testimony to who God is? And if you do, what would people say about your God? Do you glorify God in how you work? Listen, I didn't have as much time to go through how John Mark Comer does in this book called Garden City. But if you want to know more, deeper into the text of, man, how we were created to work, why we were always created to work, and what God's intent was for us to work and partner with him and taking care of his creation, what that all looks like, I encourage you to grab this book, Garden City. You can't take this one. Go get your own. Garden City by John Mark Comer. Listen, I think when we look at the creation narrative and we look at Genesis 1 and 2, I think there's two really important things we see. I think, one, we see the absolute power of the Almighty God. Speak happens. Every time you, it happens. But I also think we see this amazing example of what it means to work and what our work should look like. At the end of every day, God looks at his work, what he created. He looks at his work and says, it is good. It is good. He does not look at his work and go, ah, just a means to an end. Can't wait to get to day seven. Ah, oh, can't wait to get to the weekend. Ah, oh, these humans can't wait for a break. It's not what he says. He looks at his work and says, it is good. Our God is a God of work. And I believe he's setting us this example that we can look at our day and go, it was good. My work today was good. Not because of the outcome, but because I worshiped God in it. I had this thought. I was imagining, man, what a God in heaven looking down at me end of every day as I put my head on the pillow. And I wondered two things. Is God pleased with how I work today? Did I represent him? Did I show integrity? Did I work hard? Did I talk to people nicely? Was I joyful? Did I, did I represent him well in how I work today? That when people see the way I worked and how I worked, that they would go, there's something different in him. Maybe his God is real. Is he pleased with how I worked? And is he pleased with why I worked? That it, it wasn't my own self-motivation or self-ambition, my own self-interest. That actually, God, I just worked to worship you. Whether that was just mowing my lawn, building some new thing my wife wants, or doing work for your church. And no matter what it is, I'm just working to worship you. And what that means is the way I work and why I work is simply to bring honor and glory and magnify the name of Jesus to all of creation. 
I can't say that every day he looked down and said, please, with the way and how and why I worked. I think that's a question I need to ask myself more often. God, are you pleased with how and why? You got to think if that answer is yes, I think there's immeasurably more he wants to do in and through our work. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, Lord, I just admit that every day is not a day that I work to your standard or how you'd want me to work. And I don't always work with the right motive or reason. Lord, I confess that I am wrong for that. And I pray that you would just continue to convict me and mold me or bring to mind in the ways how or why I'm not doing that. Lord, I pray for our church, for your people, as they go back out into the workforce this week and go back into jobs, back into homes. I pray that we would be a people that how we work and why we work is simply this, to represent you well and to magnify the name of Jesus. That we would do that in work, in word, in deed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.